All right, we are uh, in week two of our Advent series, and our Advent series this year is called the, Vir- the Vices and Virtues of Christmas. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at some of the vices that, that rear their head around the Christmas season, and these are vices in particular around our use of money and how we use our money in our culture. And, and so if you don't know what a vice is, a vice is really any kind of a sinful behavior behavior or thing that becomes enticing to us and almost ensnares our hearts and then causes us to live contrary to how God would have us live. It would almost like those things begin to rule us and reign over us rather than God. And so we're looking at these different vices around money that that rear their, their head in the Christmas season. And then what we're doing is we're contrasting those with the virtues that, that God calls us into, that Jesus would lead us into. And we're doing that because we're remembering in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter calls the church to supplement their faith with virtue, to supply their faith with virtue. Like, friends, we don't have a solely just internal faith. We have an active faith. It is all rooted and based in the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. But then out of that, we live outwardly. We, like, do things. And one of those things is, that Peter says is we are supposed to supplement our faith with virtue, We're supposed to look for the virtues that we need to have to supply our faith, to supplement our faith. And I think that will image God and draw people in in all sorts of ways. And so uh, so we're looking at those vices, we're looking at those virtues, and then we're spending some time looking at how those virtues are, are displayed in the Advent story because we can't really change unless we see that that is who God is and that is what God has done on our behalf and for us very often. And so, uh, and so that's what we're doing in this series, The Vices and Virtues of Christmas. Before we get into that, I, I want to tell you guys something about myself, okay? I went through this phase in my life. Uh, where I got really into used cars, okay? I, I know you don't know that about your pastor, but I got into this phase, I got really into used cars, okay? So right around the, the time my first child was being born, uh, my, I had a little Hyundai accent, and it felt like there, I couldn't even fit a car seat in there. So I was like, I gotta get a bigger car. The only problem with that is I didn't have money. And so I didn't know how I was gonna get this bigger car. And so what I realized uh, was on Craigslist, sometimes people trade cars. Like they'll just say, hey, I have this car. You want to trade me? And so over a few year period, I started this game of bigger or better with cars. And it was crazy, okay? And so first I traded it for like a Ford Explorer, okay? And I, I actually added some cash to that deal. And then as I'm driving this Ford Explorer around, there's all sorts of issues with it. That guy won the trade. I lost this trade badly. Um, the door handles didn't work. I'd take it to mechanics and they'd be like, hey, yeah, these are unfixable. And I'm like, what? That's possible? Like it's unfixable? And so uh, so it was it was a real ghetto car. So then... Eventually, I I decided to trade that car to another guy, and I told him about all the problems. He knew all the problems. I wasn't tricking him or anything like that. He knew it. He just preferred this model of Ford Explorer. And then I got a Ford Escape, still bigger than my Hyundai Accent. I was really stoked on that. It had some issues, though. Oil leak, no AC, different things like that, okay? And so I, I got this Ford Escape, and I drove that for, I don't know, a couple years, and then I just got this itch all of a sudden. I was just like, you know what? 
I've played this game, I can do it again. I can sell this car and I could get another slightly better ghetto car, right? And I was like, I can do this. And so I sold that car and I actually uh, made an okay amount of money on that car. And then I bought another Ford Escape that I thought I would really like. And then that Ford Escape was horrible. And it had all kinds of problems. It was worse than my other Ford Escape. And I said, what am I doing? Why did I do this? Um, and so then I... I, I Again, had this itch. I needed to get a different car. By this point, I have a third kid on the way. And I'm like, now my car definitely won't fit. So I found a minivan in a dirt lot, and I got that minivan, and I sold the Escape. And there's actually another car in there that I just bought randomly and flipped just because, okay? So you didn't know this about your pastor, but he had a phase for a few years where he was buying cars that were worth $2,000 to $5,000, all pretty ghetto cars, and he was flipping them or getting rid of them or whatever he was doing. The reason I tell you that is because during these, year, these years where I was doing this with these cars, I noticed something happening in my heart. I noticed that, that this kind of um, desire for, the, for a new, better used car, it did things to my heart. It caused me to change my behavior. I mean, like one of them is like, if I got in uh, a car with a friend and their car was just like kind of good, just like kind of better than my car. I'd just be sitting there like, man, this is a nice, this is nice. Honda Civic? Honda Civic. I've heard about those. Like, yeah. Oh, only 100,000 miles. That's nice. That's nice. Like, and my friends would be like, get out of my car. Like, this is, what are you doing? So that was one thing that would happen. Almost every car I got into, I was like, oh man, I wish I had this car. And then what was happening at night, almost uh, very often, it was almost like I was addicted to this. I would get on Craigslist and I would just scour the cars ad, on, uh, like ads on Craigslist. Then I would text people and it cost them, not it cost them, but I would just lowball them and say, hey, I'll give you a thousand dollars for that, right? And I just did that for years. <laughs> Like, the, the, I just wanted this used car. Before in my life, I never even really cared about cars. But all of a sudden, I started to care about cars. And it got a hold of my heart in a way that I'm sitting in cars and I'm looking at them different than I used to look at them. And I'm scouring Craigslist that night in ways that I never used to do. It, like, changed who I was. It, it ensnared me. It was this vice. The only other time in my life I remember feeling this way about anything that was material like that was when I was a kid and it was Christmas time and, and the toy ads would come out and I would just like circle every single thing that I wanted. Like it, it was a similar feeling there. And the reason I, I tell that story is because the vices we're going to talk about are the vices I was experiencing in that story. And these vices quickly got a hold of my heart and they hadn't had a hold of my heart in major ways before that. And, and I just wanted to point out how easily vices can creep into our lives. And, so, and I think that these vices in particular that we're going to talk about today do rear their ugly heads during the Christmas season. And so the vices that we're going to talk about today is, are the vices of coveting, of consumerism, and materialism. Okay, so we're going to talk about these vices. They're really interrelated is why we're talking about all three. So we're going to talk about coveting, consumerism, and materialism. We're going to contrast those with the virtues of contentment, gratitude, and simplicity. 
Okay, so that's where we're going today. Let's hop into it. Let's begin to look at some of these vices. There's, I'm going to reread that passage that Todd just read. It's in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And I, I want to reread it because I think this passage does a good job speaking to these different vices that we're going to be talking about today. Okay, so verse 13 says this. Someone, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man, who made me judge and, or, or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? do uh, for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grains, my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, there's a verse in there, a key verse, verse 15, that I really want us to see what Jesus says because I think just this sentence alone speaks to these vices that we're going to talk about today. Jesus says this, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So, Let's talk about coveting. Let's start by talking about coveting. That's the specific sin or vice that Jesus calls out here. It, it is spoken about. I was surprised how often in the Bible the Bible talks about coveting as I was preparing this message. Like there, it talks about coveting a lot. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's the Tenth Commandment to not covet. And it's, it tells you not to covet all sorts of things. You're not supposed to covet your, your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's house or his servants or or anything like that. Jesus says it right here. Uh, in Ephesians and Colossians, the Apostle Paul, the way he talks about coveting is he always links it to idolatry. He has a, a few different sins he's mentioning alongside coveting, but he singles out coveting as worshiping another god. And so coveting is talked about all throughout the Bible. And, and it's a vice that can get a grip over our hearts. So what exactly uh, is coveting? I think in the Bible, coveting is specifically seeing something that someone has and wanting that exact same thing, right? So that's what you see in Exodus. Like you see their house, you want their exact same house, whatever that is. So there's coveting is seeing something someone has and wanting that thing of theirs. Now in our culture, I think it looks a little bit different and the Bible didn't speak to this, but I think this is coveting as well. I think coveting is when you see something someone has and you do whatever you can to get that exact same thing or something very similar or, or the exact same thing. We live in a culture where you can go out and buy the exact same thing. And so that's what I think coveting is. And the Bible talks about coveting as a problem all the time. You're kind of like, what's... What's the big deal, God? And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But I think we should pay attention to the Bible talking about coveting all the time because we live in a culture that's full of coveting. We live in a coveting culture. 
right? It, it's a common part of American status to uh, essentially um, want the same things and have the same things as your neighbor. Like, that's a common part of American status. In fact, in, my, in the times in my life where I have moved into the bad neighborhoods in town, there were all sorts of my friends being like, no, don't do it. You got to have the same as me. You can't go there. Right? I think uh, if you want to see how, how much our culture is a coveting culture, is go to Instagram. I'm not trying to blast people that like Instagram, but Instagram can be a coveting factory. <laughs> It's a coveting factory. Like, you're constantly looking at these people's lives and their curated existence, the things that they're saying, this is the best part of my life, this is what I want you to see, these are the things I want to show you. And it becomes this, it does this thing to our hearts where we kind of covet their life very often. Right? Like, people are paid on Instagram and they're called influencers and they're called influencers simply because different companies will pay them to use their product so the people that covet their life will buy that product so they could be like that person. I think one of the reasons we have a lot more despair in our culture right now is because people are on social media and they're looking at all of these curated existences of one another and they're looking at their own life and they're going, I could never have that, I could never get that, and so they find themselves in despair. Instagram plays on our covetous nature, on our heart's propensity to want to covet. Uh, advertising, in general. Our, the way our culture does advertising knows that we have hearts that covet. Like what advertisements are trying to do is trying to get our hearts to covet their product so we go and buy it. So we can't resist buying their product. It's gotten so crazy, guys. Our phones are listening to us, okay? Like, I don't know what's going on with these phones. Like, I, my friends will be sitting next to me mentioning a product, and then I'll get ads on my Instagram for it. What is going on? <laughs> Following me around. And now I'll be like, well, maybe I should buy that, right? Like, there's like this, the, the way ads work today is they want our hearts to covet because they know if they can get our hearts to covet, then we will buy their product, and coveting in the Bible is spoken out against time and time and time again. That's why right now it's silence and crickets a little bit because it's like, hey, we're all doing this. How do we avoid this? This is so pervasive in our culture. The Bible calls it idolatry. And I think Exodus and even Romans says not only is coveting idolatry, not only is it an internal problem, it's an external problem because when you covet, you don't love your neighbor. Look at what Romans 13, 9 says. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Murder and coveting together, like peanut butter and jelly. Right? Well, we, do, we usually don't put those things together, right? Not all of us are murdering, but a lot of us are coveting. And yet, Paul's list here in Romans, he puts them together. They're in a list together. And he says, all of these things don't love your neighbor. So coveting is not just an internal issue that pulls your eyes away from God, but it is something that can cause you to not love your neighbor well. Okay, this is the, the rest of the sermon, this part of the sermon, this is the part of the sermon you're not going to like, okay? 
You're not going to like it. Because I'm going to try to convince you that your coveting has led you to not love your neighbor. I'm going to try to convince you that your coveting has actually led you to not take care of the earth in certain ways. And the reason you're not going to like it is because, one, we live in this culture full of coveting, and you're going to go, like, how do I escape this? I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can get out of this. And then, two, a lot of you are going to think, I've been politically co-opted by somebody to say these things, and maybe I have been, but I also want to say maybe I haven't. Maybe I'm looking at reality. And maybe that we as Christians have to live into a different reality. Okay? And so I think coveting does lead to uh, a, a place where we will not take care of the earth the way we should be and we aren't loving our neighbor the way we should be, okay? And I think those are played out in the two vices, the two more vices that we'll talk about, the two other vices, rather, we will talk about of consumerism and materialism, okay? So coveting, I think, leads to consumerism and materialism in our culture. Here's, what, here's a definition of uh, consumerism. When I'm saying consumerism today, well, this is what I mean. The preoccupation of society with the acquisition of consumer goods, particularly consuming far more than what we need to live. Okay, so, so consuming in general, like we need to consume things in order to live, that's not what's a sin. Consuming, what I think is a vice and a sin, is when we are consuming far more than what we need. And, and, and some of the verses I've already read spoke to that, and there's a lot more verses that do too. Um, materialism, when I say that today and talk about that as a vice, when I say materialism, what I mean is a, ch a tendency to chase after material possessions and physical comfort as a key part of our lives. Both of these things have a spiritual ethos in our culture. Consumerism and materialism have a deep connection to how we exist as a society. And they have ensnared us and they rule us. And I think in the Christmas season, from my own experience growing up, and maybe I grew up in a sinful house or whatever you want to call it, but in my own experience, consumerism and materialism rear their heads in the Christmas season. So that's why we're doing this series and talking uh, about it. Now listen, you're not going to find any Bible verses that specifically use the words consumerism or materialism because those words did not exist in Hebrew or Greek, okay? But I do think the Bible points out in a, in a few ways the problems of consumerism, the problems of materialism, and I think they're, again, rooted in a lack of taking care of the earth and a lack of loving our neighbor, like the, the, the way that we can, the way that we own stuff, the way that we have wealth can hurt the earth and hurt our neighbor, okay? So let's look at how it can hurt uh, the earth. Have you guys heard of these land resting laws in Leviticus? Have you guys ever read that? Look at, the, look at Leviticus 25 with me, where God encourages them to let the land rest. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a, observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. 
the land is to have a year of rest. Now, what God knows and what farmers today know is you have to let land rest if it's going to continue to be fruitful. Okay, I'm not a farmer. This is just what I've been told, all right? Like land itself needs a rest. And if you keep using land over and over and over and over again without giving it some sort of rest, it will become soil that can't bear fruit. It will become soil that can't grow things. And so what God knew was, hey, I'm going to instill this in the laws and the people of God so that they take care of the land the right way. So that the land has a rest and the land is restored so that they can uh, grow more. I think that this passage speaks to the problem with consumerism today and materialism today. The reality is the, the, the way that modern consumerism and materialism work is it pillages the earth. Maybe not everything, but it pillages the earth. A lot of the ways that we consume products and get products hurts the earth. To which some will go, well, the earth is a gift. The earth is a gift. God gave us, it is a gift. But if you read Genesis 2.15, God says he put us here to take care of it. So the reason I bring this up is because sometimes, especially in our culture, we go, who cares? The earth is a gift. God's going to redeem it all one day. The only problem with that is God's direct commands to us and how we are supposed to flourish as humans. We are called to take care of the earth. And the way modern consumerism works, the way we get our products, pillages the land without giving the land a sort of rest that it needs. And at times, it pillages the land in a way that damages the earth enough that it's irreparable. That's what, that's what modern consumerism and materialism is doing. Maybe you don't believe me? Look into it. Look into our products and how we get our products and how we get our stuff. It is, on the whole, not doing good things to this earth that we are called to take care of. It's got, it got so bad that these companies that want us to buy things and they don't care about how the earth is pillaged, they came, up, they came up in like the 50s or 60s with this term so that we would keep buying more and more stuff. Have you heard of this? It's called planned obsolescence. This is what's great. Like, there, you can go out and look and see these different times where these different companies with different products came up with this term, planned obsolescence, which is this idea that basically they were going, as companies, they're going, how uh, sturdy of a product can we make? How good of a product can we make to where it will break at a certain time, but it doesn't break quite too early so that people come back and buy another one, but it doesn't break too late so that they have it for the rest of their lives? Like, companies did this. They, 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 and you could look throughout American history, you could look throughout global history, you can look and see where companies purposely take products and go, yeah, we could make a really good one that could last a long time, but we'll lose your business, so we'd rather have this planned obsolescence so you come back to us and buy more. And every time that companies live into that in a variety of degrees and variations, it very often hurts the earth. It very often pillages the earth. Merry Christmas.
Consumerism and materialism hurt the earth, and that's not good. It's a vice over us. It rules over us, but it also hurts our neighbor. I think consumerism and materialism also hurt our neighbor. Uh, when was the last time you guys read the book of Amos? This week, you're just studying Amos. You're just getting down with the minor prophet Amos. Um, if you read the book of Amos, one, you'll be probably confused because it's from a long time ago. But as you read it, you're going to see God's heart. You're going to see God's heart towards what bothers him. And one of the main themes that bothers God in the book of Amos is that the people that are wealthy in Israel are wealthy particularly because they ignore the poor. The almost, you can almost read it and go, it's almost like he thinks they're wealthy because they're ignoring the poor. Almost like they're profiting off of the poor. He says things to them as judgments like, you guys are at ease in Zion. This is a direct quote from Amos. You guys are laying in your beds of ivory. You're laying on your couches. And it says more than that. All in very intense language where God is saying, judgment is coming because you live this way. And the only part of Amos that freaks me out as I read that is that sounds like how I grew up. That sounds like my life. Like I've, I have sat at ease with many comforts. But then as I've looked into how a lot of these materials that we get, these, these things that we consume and become materialistic about, as I've looked into how we get those things, very often they're made in unjust ways with unjust wages and in unjust systems of oppression in other places. While I sit on my couch, on my phone, playing Candy Crush. I don't really play Candy Crush. And I know this sounds like I'm exaggerating. <laughs> I know it sounds like that. But I don't think I am. Like, look into how we get our stuff. Look at how it affects the land areas where we get our stuff. Look at how it affects the people who make our stuff. Look at how they're treated. Look at what's going on. Look at what sort of deals are happening. These things aren't hard to find or see. And the people pointing them out aren't just always politically co-opted. Like some people are just care about others and are pointing them out. So our consumerism and our materialism, it hurts our neighbor. It hurts our neighbor. The way we consume stuff in this country, the way we're materialistic, the way we make our lives about having more stuff, it hurts our neighbor. This is why Exodus 10 says you can't do it. Yes, it's an internal problem that causes us to worship something that's not God, but it's also an external problem that hurts our neighbor. Throughout the Bible, it talks about coveting that way. And consumerism and materialism are the outworking of coveting. And so I think we're probably all overwhelmed and you're like, ah, I don't know if I should have ordered those things from Amazon this week. <laughs> and it is overwhelming. Like it just is actually overwhelming. Like there's just an aspect of like this is overwhelming, that this is how our society works now, that this is how things go. 
But I don't want us to stay in just that space of feeling overwhelmed, feeling like, what's the point? What can we even do? Because I actually do think Jesus would guide us into virtues that help us deal with our heart issue with coveting and virtues that, that live against the grain of consumerism and materialism and live against the ways those things damage, okay? And so I want to spend some time looking at these virtues. Even if we're feeling overwhelmed, let's see what Jesus would lead us into. Let's see what Jesus would lead us into, okay? So I'm going to talk about first two virtues that deal with our covetous hearts, okay? Two virtues that deal with our covetous hearts, and I'm going to talk about contentment and gratitude right here, okay? Let's look at how uh, Paul points out his wrestle with contentment in Philippians 4. We're going to read verses 10 through 13. This is what Paul says. This is Paul writing from a prison cell. It says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. A virtue, friends, for us to lean into this Advent season is the virtue of contentment. The virtue of contentment in the Bible, it's just easy. It's simply saying, Jesus is enough. God is enough. God is enough for us. And listen, God made us for all sorts of purposes and all sorts of things where we flourish. Like we, I think in a sense, we need each other. I think in a sense, we need this earth. But what Paul is trying to show us is that when this broken world is not enough and the broken systems in this world try to convince you that you need more and more and more, that Jesus is enough, that God is enough. Not those things. This, that's the only way to find contentment is if you look for it in Christ. If you look for it in your relationship with God. That is the only way to truly be content. Like we as a people, if we want to press into this virtue of contentment, we have to figure out what does it mean to rest in God? A theme throughout all of the Bible. What does it mean for us to rest in God? We need to know his grace. We need to understand his sovereignty. All of these things will help us press into contentment. The, the people of God are to be a content people. You can't read through the Bible and think, yeah, they should be discontent. Now listen, we can, uh, we can bring our complaints to God. He even wants us to. But ultimately, an identifying characteristic of the people of God is that we are a content people. So are you a discontent person? Paul would say, hey, you can learn how to be content. That's how he talks about it in Philippians. He says, I learned how to do this. Right? That makes me feel a lot better because I think sometimes we as Christians, we go, just do it. Right? Just like press this button and you feel the Holy Spirit's content power. That doesn't, that's not how it works for me. And it, it seems like that's not how it worked for Paul. It seemed like he had to say, I had to learn how to be content in Christ. If we want the vice of covetousness in our hearts to go away, we have to learn how to be content. True biblical contentedness 
where we realize God is enough. God is enough. Not this broken world, not the broken systems of this world that tell us to buy more and more and more. God is enough. We have to learn how to be uh, content. If you, if you want to uh, spend significant time thinking through this idea, uh, read the book Chasing Contentment by Eric Raymond. Chasing Contentment by Eric Raymond. I think another way that we can press into contentment is to look at this second virtue I want to talk about called gratitude or thanksgiving in the Bible. All throughout the Bible, God encourages us to, to have gratitude, to show gratitude, to speak gratitude, to give thanksgiving. Look at how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18. says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. The Psalms. The Psalms also constantly encourage us to give thanks. Here's one example. Psalm 107, the first three verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The virtue of gratitude is something that God constantly, constantly throughout the Bible invites us into. And the virtue of gratitude is essentially thanking God for everything he's given us and thanking God in every circumstance we live through because whether we think it is or not, life is a gift. Even when life doesn't feel like it, life is a gift. Listen, God allows and encourages lament. He doesn't want us to be like toxically optimistic about everything, right? Where it's just like, it's fine, it's fine. Like, right? Like, we don't have to do that. But God is inviting us into a virtue of gratitude in the midst of a, of a world where it's hard to have gratitude at times because when we press into the virtue of gratitude, we are pressing into what is most true. God is on the throne even when it seems like he's not. God is sustaining us even when it seems like he's not. This is what's true and that is what will be true for all of eternity at some point. And so in the meantime, God wants to invite us into this virtue of gratitude. He wants us to press into thanking him for everything and thanking him in everything, which is really hard for me to do. I would encourage yourself, do, just do a little check of your heart right now. How often do your prayers consist of you just spending time thanking God for who he is? Right, when we do the prayer services in here and I make you guys thank God together in groups, it's like I feel like, like I'm cringing because it's so awkward. <laughs> like, it's like so hard for us to thank God at times. I'm not trying to call you out for that, but I'm just trying to say, look, it's hard for us at times to thank God and have this spirit of gratitude. It's easy for us to ask God for stuff a lot, and we should. The, the Bible encourages that too, but it also encourages us to have gratitude to live into this virtue of gratitude. And I think the more we live into this virtue of gratitude, the more content we will become. Anne Voskamp, she has this book, Thousand Gifts, and she talks about this idea where she just spent time every day thanking God 
And it changed her joy. It changed how happy she, she was as a person. Gratitude does something to our hearts. It's something that we have to work into our hearts, supply our faith with gratitude. Supplement our faith with gratitude. Okay, the final virtue that I want to talk about, this virtue, I think, actually is a way for us to live that will help us take care of the earth better and help us to love our neighbor better, okay? Before I tell you what it is, let's read this verse for, from 1 Timothy uh, 6, 8. Paul says this, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Paul says, if we have the bare necessities of life, that's all we need as Christians. That's all we need as Christians is what, what, what Paul is saying. He says this right after talking a lot about contentment in the verses before. And he says this right before those verses we read last week about the love of money. And he gives us a framework here and a virtue here that Christians throughout Christian his, history have called the virtue of simplicity. Or some have called it uh, of self-denial. Christians have been a people that have sought contentment, sought to chase contentment in God, even in their material lives, by choosing to live into this virtue of simplicity or self-denial. Christians have, throughout history, have chose to have less purposely. To live below their means purposely. To figure out what it means to be satisfied in God with just the necessities of life. Again, I don't think Paul is saying it's wrong to own stuff. I know this sermon, it sounds like Anthony's saying, he's telling us we can't own anything or couches or whatever. I don't think he's saying that. I just think what he is for sure saying is a Christian does not need to ever be discontent when all they have are the bare necessities. I think that's what Paul's saying. And I think in today's world, if we lived more into the bare necessities, if we lived more into this virtue of simplicity, I think it would counteract and it would combat the damaging effects of consumerism and materialism. So some ideas for how to live more simply in our culture. Buy less. Buy less stuff. I don't know if you're like me, Sometimes if I'm sad or depressed, I'm just like, let me, I'm going to go buy something. Like, I, that's just a feeling that I have inside of me. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> that's a way to press into simplicity. Buy less. Buy higher quality. Buy stuff you know is going to last for a long time. Do this. Find out what brands, what brands are mistreating their workers, especially overseas or stateside. Find out what brands are doing that. Find out what brands are hurting the earth. And then don't buy those brands. And that part can feel really inescapable and feel like, Anthony, you're giving me a lot of extra homework. I know, I'm sorry. Please read Amos. <laughs> I, don't, I don't imagine the people in Amos's day were like, but God, that's a lot of research. <laughs> like, I got to figure out who's poor. Buy less. Find out what brands are mistreating people, what companies are mistreating people. Don't buy from them. Buy used. Buy used stuff. When you buy used stuff, uh, your life is worse, but uh, the world is better. <laughs> right? I'm not, it's not glamorous. Like, I don't like buying used stuff. I hate it. 
Like, oh, I bought these headphones and only one ear works. Cool. <laughs> I got to find another broken pair with one ear that works and just hold them up. Be, at times, be okay with telling yourself you don't need to buy that, especially when it's not the bare necessities of life. Be okay telling yourself, I'm not going to buy that. I don't need that. Again, I, don't, I think it's okay to have stuff. I think in heaven we'll probably have stuff, maybe. I don't know. But I think it's going to look wildly different than what it looks like now. And the way we have stuff in this culture hurts our neighbor and hurts the earth. Things Christians aren't supposed to live into. We're supposed to live into loving our neighbor and taking care of the earth. And so... Let a life of simplicity be something, a virtue you live into in order to combat covetousness, consumerism, and materialism. If you want to learn more about simplicity, uh, a book I really liked that talked, at least in one part of the book about simplicity, was The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I love what it said on simplicity. If you find other stuff in there you don't like, I I hated those parts too. Um, We as Christians are supposed to supplement our faith with virtues. And I think part of our repentance from these vices that have gotten a hold of us will be living into these virtues that I just talked about. But if that's all we try to do, we're going to fail time and time again. To really live into these virtues well, we have to look at God. We have to see how God displays these virtues. We have to see how he lived these things out. We have to see that that God, in the Advent story, he does not look to get more and more and more, but he is one who chooses simplicity and poverty in order to save us. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. God chose to come into this world in poverty so we could gain his riches. The Advent story is a rich display of God's generosity that we have to look at if we want to actually change, if we want to actually live into these virtues. The Advent story displays how God lives out his generosity in simplicity because he's fully secure and content in himself to bring us into his vast riches. Because of the Advent story, even if you're poor, you're rich. Look to God and see that he has the contentment that we all are chasing after. Look to God and see that he and all his works should instill in us a gratitude and hearts of thanksgiving and mouths of thanksgiving. Look look at God in the Advent story and see how he chose simplicity in order to reach us. And then he went to the cross with nothing to atone for everything. And then he resurrected from the dead giving us the richness of life over death. God displays generosity in all sorts of ways that show us where we can find contentment, that show us where we can have gratitude, 
that show us where he himself lived simply in order to reach us and save us. Jesus was satisfied in all of life's circumstances, even though his body felt the weight of the sin of this world so that he himself could be our satisfaction. Without God coming simple and lowly in the Advent story, we wouldn't be able to live into these virtues. We couldn't. We try our best, but we'd fail. But because God came simple and lowly in the Advent story, we can live into these virtues. We can be content. We can have gratitude. We can live simply in a way that brings true and lasting joy. So may we see that about God. May we see these things about God. May we recognize the vices in ourselves and turn to the virtues that God has for us. And may we live out these virtues so our neighbors are loved. And that our neighbors, by seeing the good works of God in us, are drawn to God. How we live in regards to our money can draw people in to know God and praise him. Look at Matthew 5 and, and talking about being salt and light. The good that we do, the, the virtues that we live out, can draw people in to know the true God of the, of the universe. May we be his virtuous people living into these virtues and against the vices of the day. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for the contentment you give us. God, forgive us for our vices. Forgive us for the things that we live under. God, thank you for opening our eyes this morning. I think some of us probably, for the first time, our eyes are being opened to some of the things that we live under. And God, like, that can be overwhelming for us, so I ask that you would just comfort us. and You would help us to not stay in that overwhelmed feeling, but we would realize that you are bigger than any problem here and that you have things for us, small things, and they might even feel like insignificant things to us to live into in order to be a pure people of God together. A peculiar people, a set-apart people, a holy people. God, help us live into that. Help us to live into it so well that people are drawn in, that the poor are taken care of, that the earth is taken care of. God, we need you for this. We need you for, to so that we can abandon our vices, we need you. So that we can live into these virtues and supplement our faith with virtue, we need you. So God, help us, be with us. Spirit, guide us. Amen.